Welcome to Health Raisers. Health Raisers don't just survive, together we thrive. I'm your host, Dr. Nadine. is an expression of love. Any any art is an act of love because it's an act of creation. And so inherent in creation is love. Today, I have got the one and only Anika Larson. She is an actress, singer. She's been on multiple Broadway shows, nominated for a Tony. I am so excited about bringing you, my dear audience, this interview with Anika, because we're going to get into talking about love, showing love through her art. And I have no doubt that we'll get into a lot more because your background is super fascinating. So, <laughs> um, welcome. I'm feeling so much love already. This is very exciting. <laughs> <laughs> it's been for about two years now. I haven't felt much like a theater person. So it's nice to have myself introduced as one because I haven't been able to actively be one. So thanks for this. I'm excited to talk about all of this stuff. Wonderful, wonderful. I've been really thinking about this conversation for quite a bit. I want to talk about how you show love through your work, mm-hmm. caring for other people. And then later on, I'm sure we'll drift into how you care for yourself. Because as someone who gives so much, not right. only in your career, but in your personal life, I just wonder how you sustain yourself. Right. So let's let's start with Art and love. Sure, sure. Just, just that, just that little thing. You know, I think of a thousand things when you say that. So let's see how many of them we can get to today in a coherent fashion. I mean, I think first of all, sort of the definition of art is. I mean, I think any any beauty is an expression of love. Any any art is an act of love um, because it's an act of creation, and so inherent in creation is love. I think for me in particular, this is the first way my brain is going. Um, The very specific kind of theater that I do, the kind of art that I do, I, I generally do musical theater. That's what I mostly work in. And it is such an extraordinarily collaborative art form. You know, painters can paint alone in a studio. A a great writer can go into a cabin in the woods for three months and leave with a novel. But you can't make a musical with less than, and like conservatively, less than 100 people. And that's just the people in the building who are making it happen every day. You've got your cast, you've got your understudies, you've got your orchestra, you've got the crew, you've got stage management, you've got front of house, you've got box office, you've got the ushers, you've got, I mean, just the the sheer number of people, security, number of people that are involved who are who are who are necessary to make this evening happen for our audiences um, and and they wouldn't be there uh, producers are no, notoriously stingy so they wouldn't be in the building if they weren't critical they wouldn't be getting paid to be there so they're necessary and I and I I am so in love with this idea that in this building 
there are, you know, however many dozens of people who all have a very specific track, a very specific role, a very specific set of knowledge in their brain that they're going to employ. So I know this character, and I'm one of the very few people in the building who know this character. And so this is my job to do this. I know how to get people their tickets in a timely fashion and get them to their seats. I know which buttons to push to make which sets move where they need to move. All of these people come together to make this thing every night, eight times a week. Um, it's such a magical sort of unlikely thing that somehow happens all the time. Um, I'm somebody who's really, really moved by people coming together to make beauty. Um, anytime I see a video of a flash mob, I, I instant, like instant tears in my eyes. I just think when people work together to make something, I, I just find, I find it so beautiful. Um, I'm one of 10 kids. And so I think I've just sort of was raised. I was primed to be somebody who enjoys a group effort. It also takes like very seriously um, carrying my weight in a group. I get very uncomfortable if I think I'm not doing enough, if I'm not doing my part. I also get very uncomfortable, oddly, like desperate for attention because of being one of 10, but get very uncomfortable when I feel like I'm starting to get too much of it. So there's this constant balance. And I feel like this is sort of a form of love of like, let's make sure all of our needs are being met. You get your moment to shine. I get my moment to shine. That's always when I'm happiest is when I have like a nice featured part in an ensemble show. Found myself thinking that this is one of the rare career paths that a person takes in specifically in the creative arts. Mm-hmm. where everyone coming together, as you so beautifully said, is there of their own volition because they want to make this beautiful thing. And it's about making sure that the audience is having the experience that you would like Mm-hmm. for them to experience. I'd like to talk about how you're managing as part of an ensemble, giving the audience what they need, giving each other what you need as part of the production and giving yourself what you need. Yeah, 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 yeah. I have a director friend who often says, we go to theater to know we're not alone. And I am I do think that's also why we why we watch any of the stories that we watch in whatever form that we're watching them. We go to see... Um, our humanity reflected back at us. We go to see ourselves represented. We go to see things that haven't happened to us to, to understand the others better. But I think particularly live theater, is, it's different than any other form of watching storytelling because TV at home is one very isolated thing. And this is why we have laugh tracks on sitcoms is because we they, they've done studies that show that people are more inclined to laugh if they hear other people laughing, that you enjoy things more when others are enjoying it around you. So the difference between watching something on TV at home and then going to a movie theater and enjoying it in a movie theater with other people, it's just so much more heightened your enjoyment of something. And then when you kick it up a notch and then the act actual performance is happening live in front of living humans with their actual energy right there in the room with you. There's just nothing like that shared experience that, I mean, it really takes us back to our most primal roots of when we started telling stories around fires, you know, and just the the ways that we engage each other, the importance to of storytelling, to culture, to our understanding of ourselves, of each other. It's electric and it's something we've been so lacking for these past two years. And it's been so exciting to come back and it's been 
agonizing watching the sort of stumbling and starting of Broadway back up again and theater back up again because we're trying so hard to get back into these rooms and experience together because it is a kind of communion. It's why we go to church is to pray together, to experience together. It amplifies our experience of any of the emotions that we have. So yes, so there is a a really interesting relationship that is like no other and why I prefer theater far and away beyond any of the very, very, I've done very little TV or film, but I so prefer being there, having a conversation with the audience, um, playing with the audience, tinkering with jokes to see if I can get a better laugh out of an, any given audience. There's there's nothing like that energy. And audiences, I often tell when I'm doing talkbacks after shows, you get what you give. If you are a really loud, boisterous audience, we always go out there intending to give 100%. Sort of to your point earlier, like what are we doing to take care of the audience? I mean, the effort of storytelling, knowing doing eight shows a week is hard. Um, and once you've been doing a show for months and months and months, it, there's not that novelty. There's not that initial joy and excitement of creation, it becomes a very different set of skills to be able to reproduce a show every night as if it were the first time. Mm -hmm. Um, And one of the things we always remind ourselves is... Uh, it may be my sixth time doing the show this week. It might be my twi- my second time doing it today. But it is most likely the first and only time that the majority of this audience is going to see this play. It is their only experience of it. And we owe it to them to give them the absolute best show that they possibly can get. So every time we go out on that stage, we are intending to give our all. But you can't help but get a little extra pep in your step if you've just got a lively audience who is giving you feedback, whether it's laughter, whether it's noise, whether whatever it is. Um, and so, you know, it's it's always interesting. There's sort of the shows throughout the week that are just generally livelier, like Friday and Saturday nights, people are out for an evening and they've probably been drinking and they've certainly just had dinner and they're feeling more sort of rowdy than a than a than a Wednesday afternoon audience which tends to be older people um you know it's just it's a more sedate time of the day two o'clock in the afternoon um so you kind of have expectations of what audiences are going to be like throughout a given week you there are rhythms to it um and when you get a surprise audience that you're not expecting boy is that fun also very interesting is because I've toured all over the country is different cities and how different cities respond to a, to a show that you might be doing. And that's sort of fun and interesting. And, and you can sit around parsing that psychologically or demographically all, all you want. So in terms of taking care of the audience, it really is. I mean, it is such a symbiotic relationship, right? Like we need them without audiences. As we've seen, There can if we can't have audiences, we can't have theater. So what I'm hearing is that it's really a giving and receiving. It's not oh, just about... Sure. Because when I've gone to... To live performances, I usually think sort of like it's a one way kind of. I mean, I know sometimes that you might hear the the clapping and, and the participation, but especially in, in live theater, say, I feel like won't we be distracting if we're kind of I mean, being a little heckling. bit too boisterous? <laughs> I don't mean I don't I don't mean heckling and I don't mean you I mean we all know sort of what is appropriate theater behavior I think I feel like if it is an honest response then then it is 
wonderful. It is permissible. If it's a full sentence, it's probably not great. But if it's like <laughs> laughter, yes. Applause, yes. Um, and even my favorite sounds that audiences make are the like the ooh or the oh, those like noises mm. they didn't leave the house thinking they were going to make that day mm. um, that are just sort of involuntary. All of that is wonderful. I don't ever, when I go to see theater, I let all of the noises come out of me. Um, uh, in fact, the last show that I saw, the person next to me started looking at me sort of annoyed. And I thought, oh no, oh come on, no, we're not meant to just because we paid a lot of money for these tickets, we're not meant to sit here and silent and sort of straitjacketed and not experience them, you know. And it's it's really it's it's funny actually to sort of see across different cultures. There's there's lots of cultures where it's a lot more permissible. It's in it's it, it's enjoyed the you know being far more expressive and vocal. Um, and then there are the cultures where it's a little less that. And I think people do feel like there's sort of. Uh, a, a formality to Broadway, which mm-hmm. we certainly don't, especially the, you know, musicals. They're just not, you know, and um, I tend to be, I tend to do the sort of more pop rock musicals, which are even less formal. But no, we love that stuff. Honestly, again, eight shows a week, even if there's, you know, the crazy old lady who yells something back at you and inevitably that kind of stuff happens sometimes. <laughs> that's the most fun thing that's happened to us all week, right? So, you know, I'm not, I'm not encouraging bad behavior, but I am saying like, don't edit yourself. If there's an honest response that you're having, we do want to know. We really do want to know. And really, m- most of the time, the rest of the people around you want to know that you are experienced. Because probably if you're feeling it, feeling this way, then they, other people are feeling this way. And again, it is nice to know we're all having a sort of this shared experience of things. So how do you take care of yourself? You said you've been saying eight shows a week. How do you right. maintain, say you do run into a couple of audiences that are a little bit more <laughs> muted, or this is your second, maybe third performance of the day, you know, that can occur like if it, you have matinees. So what, what do you do for yourself? How do you take care of yourself? How do you show yourself love? Sure. A lot of it is sort of the obvious stuff, which is taking care of your body is necessary. I mean, it's like being an athlete, right? And um, so uh, it, it's necessary. And then is also so good for your soul, your your mind, your spirit. So for sure, I am adamant when I'm on an eight show a week schedule, I'm adamant about getting a lot of sleeping. Hydrated is so important, especially for singers. Um, eating right, timing your meals. That's something I sort of have learned the hard way along the way. You eat a big meal before you go out and do a Broadway show. It's an awful feeling. <laughs> so and that tends to be like breakfast is my biggest meal of the day and they get smaller as we go to dinner. Also, um, weekly massages are often, um, sometimes I've even had them in my contract, like when I was doing Avenue Q, because it's such a holding a puppet for two hours is such a unusual thing mm-hmm. to ask of your body that they mm. were willing to pay for stuff like that. It feels like pampering, but is actually kind of necessary to get through eight shows a week. And yoga, I'm sure I don't have to convince you of the importance mm-hmm. of yoga, but really how important that is for centering, for, for body wellness, for the wellness of your mind. Um, uh, those are the ways that, yeah, I take care of myself for the show, but ends up, of course, making my whole life, my whole day go better. Let's go to your upbringing, because I find that fascinating that you've been in a large household and it sounds like it contributed to your career path quite a bit. 
How did you transition from being in this, I would imagine, a boisterous household? Maybe there was a feeling of competition for parental attention or oh, from for attention sure. for each other. Sibling rivalry is real. Yes. Yeah. When there's that much, there's when there's the, that many rivals for all of us about the way that we found our sort of our our niche and the way that we got attention. And I figured out early on people would pay attention when I sang. Um, six of my brothers and sisters are adopted from different races and countries. We're sort of a, a rainbow colored family, um, which is unusual now, but in the 70s and 80s was even more unusual. So in the town I grew up in, we were like kind of famous, you know, like everybody knew the, the Larsons. I grew up outside Boston. So actually everybody knew the Lassons, you know, everywhere I went, it would be like, you're a Lasson, right? You're one of the Lassons. And I just desperately wanted people to know I was a Nika. Um, and so uh, my mother thought we were the multicultural Von Trapp family. And she made us perform at her Christmas parties every year. <laughs> And so for a hundred of my parents' best friends crammed into our living room, we would do a little show every every um, every Christmas. And I looked forward to that more than I looked forward to presents. When I got my first hit of standing in front of these people singing and getting applause and then feedback later about how great it went, it was, um, yeah, that's really where I got hooked on the junk and um, have been chasing it ever since. Annie was huge when I was little and um, so was Whitney Houston. And looking back, have spent my entire career trying to have the career that if Annie and Whitney Houston had a baby, that that baby would have. <laughs> um, and I've gotten pretty close. I mean, I've done pop rock, like sort of soulful musicals, which has really been. So I think I've sort of managed to to walk that line. But yeah, so I I, I loved theater um, growing up. My I, I like I said, I lived outside of Boston, and my dad is the only one in my family who also likes theater. He's the only one who goes if it's something I'm not in. Everybody else only ever goes because I'm in it and they have to. But my dad like subscribes to the theater in his town and stuff. So he told me when I was young, he said, if there's a show that you would like to see that comes that tours through Boston, I will take you. And that ended up being just some of the most special times of my childhood because not only did I get to go see musicals and that was magical and we'd ride the T, which is what we call the subway in Boston. We'd ride the T into Boston and then see the show and then talk about it on the T on the way home. Um, but also it was one-on-one -on -one time with my dad. And when there's 10 kids, that's hard to come by. So mm -hmm. just this special thing that I had with my dad, just he really nurtured it um, all throughout my childhood. And then by the time I got to high school, my high school was had a, like a crazy good drama program program and so when i got there i was so i mean the first show i saw at my high school was a summer production of pippin starring matt damon so i'm from cambridge so um just just you know the level the baseline level of talent <laughs> that was probably not the baseline level of talent but um but so i was deeply intimidated by the drama kids and so my whole freshman year i didn't try out for any of the theater shows, um, even though I was desperate to. And finally, my dad said, Anika, just take drama class and and then you'll get to know everybody and you'll get to know the director. And you'll." And I did. And um, thank goodness he pushed me because I didn't, I remember resisting, being scared, mm -hmm. really just being scared because um, I always knew I could sing, but I didn't think I could act. And um, so starting to actually take classes was like, oh, actually, maybe this is a possibility. And um, and then I became one of the drama kids I was scared of and auditioned for all the shows and did lots and lots of shows and then decided I wanted to major in theater. And um, 
uh, you know, it's just pre-internet. So I, I was like, where have I heard they do theater well? And I've heard Yale. I didn't know that it meant the drama school, which is the grad program is really what, what is, um, Yale's theater is famous for. Um, but so I went to Yale and I majored in theater there. I really mostly thought uh, regret is sort of the worst emotion to have. And um, I just don't want to wonder what if for the rest of my life. And anytime I talk to people, young people, I say, don't wonder what if try you're going to live a lot if you're smart and you don't make dumb choices like vaping or drugs and you know you live a healthy life you're going to live a long long time with modern medicine being what it is you've lots of decades for different careers just try why why not try I'm also curious because love is a it is a complex emotion. It's not simplistic, but one of the things that I wonder about is when you're a performer does it enhance your sense of empathy? Does your career ask it of you? Oh, for sure. Yeah. I remember once watching an interview with some some actor who was playing Hitler at the time. And it's and you know, of course the question was, how do you play Hitler? How in the mm. world do you play this awful person? Mm. And the answer is you don't play Hitler. You don't play a horrible genocidal maniac. You play the person within Hitler and you find something in there. You find some of his humanity in there. And that's what you play. You still might, you're going to still play an awful person. You're going to still play a sort of a monster, but you can't go in playing a villain like a villain. You have to understand why they're a villain. And there is such love in that, that even with the most horrendous human beings, you have have to have some level of empathy, some level of understanding and putting yourself in their shoes in order to be able to play them. Thank thankfully, I've never played anyone even akin to, to Hitler. Although honestly, playing um, villains, you know, like Disney type villains, they're the most fun characters to play. I think they're the, the ones people would much rather play a villain than an ingenue. But when you're on stage with other people, uh, there there is this level of trust that is necessary um, in, in terms of being, to be able to do this thing together. We need to know that we have each other's backs, that you're not going to try and upstage me the minute I turn away, that you, if if I falter, you will catch me. It happens all the time that somebody makes a mistake and somebody else on the stage saves them. And also just that I know that you're going to show up to work also yourself, having taken care of yourself and healthy and ready to be on your gig to the best of your ability. Um, it, is a, it is a very, very scary thing that we are asked to do. I mean, there's that, stu- that famous study that more people fear public speaking than death. Yeah. It is a mm-hmm. terrifying thing to put mm-hmm. yourself out there. And clearly, those of us who do it for a living aren't as afraid of it as others. Mm-hmm. But there is always that underlying fear of the risk of going out and looking stupid in front of people. As time so, goes by, happily, that fear gets less and less. What I'm hearing is vulnerability is also another component, another facet of showing love. Absolutely. Yes, because we're all afraid. Always, all day, every day we wake up on some level afraid. And the only way to get through a day of anyone's life is with the love of the uh, and the support of the people around us. And it's funny now becoming a mother. So I have two little boys who are six and four, how much that's changed just the ways that I think about empathy, that I think about others, that I, that I understand the intensity of it all, but just also the window of opening to like, the level of experience of emotional experience that then is now this this arsenal that I can go to that I didn't have before in terms of accessing emotions. There's just a sort of visceral, primal, uh, just the the emotion again of being a mother that you can't, the worry that I never understood before. You yes. can't understand the incredibly pervasive worry 
the irrational worry um, that makes you act in ways that are not always great. And guess what, Anika? Guess what? I'm sorry to say this, but my, I have adult children and it's still yeah. not going away. No. And my mother assures me that it doesn't go no. away ever. And, yeah. and it gets and it continues into grandchildren. So yeah, I believe it. I believe it. There's no reason it should stop because they're still there to worry about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I was just going to say that it sounds like another lesson that you're learning here with parenting and translating that into your career and mm-hmm. really exploring what love can mean is a vital ingredient, patience. Yes. Yeah. I was just going to say that your body language, and this is why I'm, I'm really <laughs> enjoying having this conversation with you, because it is clear to me your passion and the bodily expression of that love. Yeah. Have you ever seen um, footage of when they're doing the voices for a Disney movie and they'll show footage of the people in the studio recording it? And they're not just mm-hmm. talking the words. Mm-hmm. They are fully, they know their bodies aren't going to be seen, but they are fully living it because you can't express joy without moving with joy. You can't, um, you know, it, it all has to be full extension in order for it to come out in your voice. So they all know any good voice actor knows. I'm going to fully live this in this. I'm going to look like a crazy person alone in a little box, but I'm going to fully live this. Um, and you can't, you can't have full emotional expression without your body, right? Even even if you're just using your fingers, if the rest of your body isn't pouring into your fingers, then that emotion isn't going to translate, and it is going to feel like paint by numbers, um, as opposed to watercolors that are messy. I suppose it's why I have a personal affinity for, say, jazz over classical. Is I like when the notes are dirty. I like when they're messy. I like when there's. Uh, when you when you slide from one note to to another, I like when you when you you grunge it up. That for me is where humanity is. That for me is where truth and beauty lie. Is in our messiness. One of my favorite moments in the history of recorded voice is back to Whitney Houston, who I think I, can't, I always tell my son because my older son is so competitive and wants to be the best at everything, um, and he's always like, "Mama, am I the best singer?" And I'm like. No, what do I say? And he, he gets annoyed. And I say, um, com- uh, comparison in the arts is, and he goes, nonsense. Um, but um, but I, I, and then I say, except, and he goes, except Whitney Houston is the best singer in the whole world. That is our only <laughs> exception to the rule. Comparison in any of the arts is nonsense, except, of course, Whitney Houston is the best singer who has ever lived. So this is our understanding in our house baseline. But when Whitney Houston, please go listen to her sing, it's when she's just in her finest form, she's singing. Is the bodyguard soundtrack and it's um, don't make me close uh, one more door. I have nothing is the name of the song. And at by the end, there's a moment after a key change where she goes, she takes it up even higher in one of those power ballad and mm-hmm. amazing key changes. Um, and she gets to stay in my arms and she gets to the my and her voice it gets a little dirty, it gets a little messy, the note breaks a little bit. Um, and we are so used to hearing Whitney Houston pristine. And that moment of her voice breaking a little bit, it's so small, but it's there. I love it because she is straining. She is feeling the emotion of this so much. I have nothing without you. What words are, I mean, like that's a huge thing to say to a human being. And mm-hmm. in that moment when she is saying, stay in my arms, 
the strain in her voice is is the strain of of pain and emotion and we 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 feel that so much more than if she hit that note perfectly um that's what i live for are those moments of imperfection and so whenever i'm learning a role i learn all the notes perfectly at first and then i let them get messy i want it to sound like i'm talking so uh you know i don't stick straight to the to the rhythm and the notes um uh, and this is not just me everybody does this you know is you loosen it up so that you can sound like a human who is singing their feelings and so having had my life's passion taken away from me for 2 mm-hmm. years and the sort of the heartbreak that that is i remember seeing an article about the the lost year for us was the, a year after the pandemic had started and it was a year lost for grandparents and thinking oh god right of mm-hmm. course grandparents mm-hmm. a year of not seeing their grandkids and yeah. i had this moment of just being knocked down by like the many many facets of loss all of the different kinds of loss many much most of it we're never going to hear about it because it's so individualized to people right mm-hmm. all of this loss and then me thinking about the year lost of my career and and not wanting to be a whiner because it is not loss of life and it is not loss of a job and I never had to thank god for my husband who is a musician but also as a the middle school band director for our middle school here so he had job security tenure and we were on his health insurance so like all of the stuff that I have wor- worried about as an actor throughout the years which is making money and also having enough weeks every year that I work that I can keep my health insurance I didn't have to worry about any of that so I had no real struggle or strife but also languishing not being able to do the thing that has fed me my whole life long it's your purpose it's your passion just you just said don't compare right so why <laughs> would you compare your grief and your loss to another i know i know that and i tell myself that and it's still very hard to feel when you are seeing other people's pain to be like wow a year of broadway shows i'll never do you know but at the same time it, it, it that is not something i can tack on later when i'm 85 the, the performance as a, that i could have given in these 2 years and the loss of that is it is it it hurts when i let it become really present in my brain it hurts and um i will just a couple of days ago with freddy was um just had a, a like a meltdown like a sobbing meltdown of it is it is so hard i am so grateful for all the time with my family it is too much time home with my family i am a person who was meant to be a working mom i need to be leaving the house being fulfilled in this other way this whole other side of me that is necessary to being me this is part of how yeah. you take care of yourself this is how a part yeah. of how you contribute this is a part of your health anika you know you and i can go on and on all day are you i'm going to hand the microphone over to you to Ooh. be a little bit of an interviewer would do you have any questions for me oh my goodness i wish you told me you were going to ask me this because you're such an authority on things well how about this i'm i'm curious from your point of view when, so what was the last play that you saw hamilton with my girls Did you see it in Chicago? In Chicago, gosh, yeah. it's been such a long a time. Few years, yeah. yeah. Can you tell me what was the thing that surprised you most about it? That I would enjoy myself so much. Yeah, and why? Because I have put myself into categories. That's what I've done for so many years. I mean, you're a, you're a friend of my, a dear friend of my sister Daphne and brother-in-law uh, Orlando, and I consider them to be. 
the vocalists and the, you know, the amazing singers and performers in in my life. And I feel like that's their lane. It's not in my lane to be a type of creative person or I'm not supposed to really understand that world necessarily <laughs> because, <laughs> I mean, just ridiculous stories I've told yeah. myself. So, and then I'm not the kind of person who, like my niece or Maya, who learns every single note of the song and all the bridge and mm -hmm. my daughter Lizette does the same thing and they're mm -hmm. all and my daughter Maddie and they're all talking to each other Roddy Hamilton and going you know oh that song and this song and they know everything about it mm -hmm. and I go to Hamilton like I'm not a you know I'm not this person and I'm an imposter and I shouldn't be here that's so crazy but how could we have <laughs> how could we have the arts if we didn't have people to enjoy them who weren't actually artists themselves yeah there's not yeah. enough artists to fill up all the audiences you know and I've come to I've come to realize that I'm an artist and a creative in different ways yeah and I don't have to get an A in everything. Oh yeah. boy, that's what I say all the time. I got to get an A plus at life. Um, that's not very loving of us to ourselves. Mm -hmm. This idea, this idea of creating these categories and these boxes. Well, that's why I. That's why I try to talk to people like you, so that I can learn and I can grow. So that being said, my last question for you is: What is your personal definition of what it means to be healthy? Mm. Well, it's great that the theme today is love because it all comes from love, right? I'm going to quote Whitney Houston right now because she's a theme, <laughs> but learning to love yourself is the greatest love of all. And the problem with that song is it's become so played out and cliche that it's hard to take it seriously. But then every once in a while, you'll hear those words for what they really are saying. And you're like, oh, but that is actually straight up the truth. Any kind of health, whether it's physical, mental can't exist without loving yourself. You can't you can't take care of yourself. It's funny, my kids are really on this big kick right now about cigarette smoking and what a big deal it is because we've been so clear about how awful it is for you and that it will kill you. Um, and so anytime they see, they'll just see it on TV or in a movie and they'll go, mama, they're smoking. And um, it's... Um, it, which is great because I think I think they'll never do it. God, I hope they'll never do it. But um, but I've always thought my whole life long, I've watched people smoke. And anytime I've seen somebody smoking, I've thought they must have self-esteem issues. That you can't have taken up smoking in this day and age when we know it's going to kill you when you start, as opposed to people who did it 100 years ago. Mm -hmm. um, but how you can do something so self-destructive if deep down you really like and love yourself, I just don't believe you can. And so anytime I watch those people like out in the cold outside of an office building, spitting that cigarette into their little break, I think I, I, I want to throw love at you because I, there's just no way you can be making choices like this. If you really love yourself, um, yeah, taking care of yourself is yes. It's all about self-love and, and loving those around you. Anika, thank you so much for connecting uh, today. Oh, thank you. It was you. a gorgeous conversation. Oh my God, nobody's ever asked me questions like this about them. I mean, I've been act a lot, I've done a lot of talkbacks mm. about theater and um, no one has ever asked me. It's such an interesting question, but like the, the connection between theater and love is, it's, it was exciting to talk about. So thank you. Thank you for being one of my dream guests on my show. Aww. Dreams mm -hmm. come true on your podcast. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs>
If you're feeling unbalanced and you want more, you want a more integrated, balanced, healthier outlook, showing up with your whole self to your whole life, let's connect. Find me at npkhealthintegration.com.